Can changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Baden and Rex. Welcome to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we spoke with Matthew Trum from Treetop Permaculture, although that's probably not giving him enough credit for all yeah. the things that he's doing. Um, just really an incredible conversation. It's hard to you know put your finger on exactly the one thing, you know, like this is about, you know, women's rescue or something like that. Like yeah, he he's got is a lot so involved. Yeah. yeah. He's a, he's a really neat guy and he's, uh, you know, so special to this community because he does a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people would never, you know, even know that's going on. I mean, his hustle after the campfire to get waddles, you know, he was getting, you know, material from local farmers and, and just basically trying to help our environment. And then same thing after the bear fire. I mean, he, he kind of gets into it, but the grant he was able to secure because no one else was doing it. And, yeah. um, not only, uh, is he a man of action, but he's a man of forward thought. And in this day and age, uh, I, I feel like that's, uh, on shortage. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Just a real genuine guy. Uh, great conversation. You know, for again, a lot of you guys probably know kind of where we're at, that Northern California area where it seems like we're stuck with, you know, massive fires every single summer. And so it's great to talk to him, just get his thoughts on forest management. Um, and I just love where he comes from and his attitude where he's like, hey, I'm not trying to blame the forest service, blame firefighters, blame loggers, any of these things. Basically, it's what you'd imagine would be the right answer is that you know, if we do X, it'll be solved this way too simplistic that there's just so much more to the, to the yeah. equation. It's a complex system. And he had some ideas that I've never heard before. And I've never mm -hmm. contemplated them before. And I hope that there's some ears that hear this, that can run with some of the concepts that he has. Cause he threw out some good ones out there. So, yeah. um, I know you guys are gonna enjoy the episode and if you're interested in any of his either consultation or his classes, or you want to be part of anything that's coming up, probably find him on social media is the easiest way either on Facebook under treetop permaculture, or, uh, I know he's on Instagram and then he, he threw out his email in there as well. So, uh, hope you enjoy the episode and we'll catch you guys on the next one. All right. Thank you so much, Matthew, for joining us on my corner of the universe. You are our first returning guest. So congratulations on that. And, uh, welcome back to the show. Wow. I feel honored and privileged. Yeah, man. So, we we're just kind of chatting before we start recording here and a lot has happened since the first time we spoke and we initially spoke um relatively soon after the campfire had burned through the town of paradise and the surrounding communities and you were affected by that directly and indirectly and you took it upon yourself to kind of this take action and uh, from you know our first interview, one of the things that I admired most about what you did was a lot of times when there's uh, you know something, some kind of natural disaster or whatever it may be that bureaucracy takes a long time to kind of get things rolling. And you wanted to, you were just like let's hit the ground ground running, and you kind of just started sourcing with your local network to like just take action and get waddles and put them you know so you wouldn't have all this uh, you know toxic runoff go back into our, our water systems and you kind of just crowdsource starting what was the campfire restoration.org. So 
kind of catch us up. A lot's happened since then. We've had two more major wildfires. One is still currently burning. Last year, we had the Bear Fire, North Complex Fire, which devastated where you were from, Berry Creek area. And then currently, we also have the Dixie Fire, which is still burning in the same general area, Butte County and the surrounding counties. And so um, not only that, but I'm sure you have a lot of other stuff to catch up us on as well. So Welcome back. And uh, yeah, fill us in. What's been going on, man? Yeah, thanks, Rex. Yeah. It's been, yeah, it's been a long time. I'm like two years. I was listening. It's, it was, it was, I looked at the podcast that we, we did and I was like, wow, that was two years ago. It, it's a weird thing with time. Right. You can stretch, <laughs> and, sh- stretch and shrink time. And I feel like I've done like an accordion this last two years. So it feels like we just did the podcast. Right. Totally. Yeah. Like a month ago. Yeah. (laughs) And then it feels like forever ago when I think about where I was at at that time and how much has happened since then. So Paradise was a major project of mine. And it developed into the Campfire Restoration Project. And we did a lot of boots on the ground work at that time. And then we started to step back and vision for what this thing we created, you know, right. I created and, and then we created because there were so many other people that came in on it. And so we sat down, we did a strategic planning session with my good friend, Alan Myers, and uh, the folks from the Regenerating Paradise group, which came from a, the original name was uh, Restoring Paradise, then Regenerating Paradise, Evolutions of, and, and Alan Myers, he's like a bosom brother of mine. <laughs> we were sort of doing the same thing, but in a different way. He was focused on the people element of it. And I was focused on the ecological situation. And, but at the same time, we were both focusing on, it was like yin yang. Right. Awesome. So it was really cool. And and being able to have this brother in arms that, you know, we were, we were doing all this work and then they developed to be this sort of uh, organizational um, support arm of the community in paradise and anything that was about the fire and, and restoration of all sorts, right. Human land, that kind of thing. So, and a lot of the same players that were part of his group were also volunteering to help with mine. So it just so happened that we had this like big weaving web, like is the common situation with permaculture and yeah, so we we had this great strategic planning session. We um, created our mission statement, our vision statement. But got our board of directors really solid at that point. People took up roles in the organization. We had already had so when we met, I think it was so it was just before August of 2019. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know the date, but that sounds that sounds accurate. Yeah, I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> So just before August, and then we had just done the first camp, uh, ecosystem restoration, by the way. So that 
that was a, a whole evolution of my action and then meeting John D. Lou before that. I think I explained some of yeah, that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you went into that. Right. The the guy who filmed this incredible land restoration project in China, the Lois Plateau Regeneration Project. And it, yeah, he, he did a documentary called Hope in a Changing Climate. And then another one uh, called Lessons from the Lowest Plateau and on and on. And the film that I watched that I was introduced to John was called Green Gold. Really great one. Um, it also had my teacher, Jeff Lawton, in it. Right. Australian permaculture uh, teacher. And they were doing work in Jordan and they were doing the documentary recap of the lowest plateau project and saying, Hey, we can restore large scale degraded ecosystems with humans. Like we can do this. Like we can actually, we've proven it now. So this was 10 years later from the lowest plateau. And by the time I met John, it was almost 20 years. Or or wait, let me think. No, it was over 20 years or yeah, just over 20 years. And I was like, wow, you know, this is possible. Okay. Anyways, but I met John just before the campfire. You know, you guys can all listen to that story. And yeah, definitely life. worth going back and listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. But it was an incredible thing. And I just heard about this idea of ecosystem restoration camps from John a week before the fire. Right. <laughs> you know, and then paradise burned. Right. And, there's this whole connection there. And, um, and so John was immediately on board and to help it, but there was no camp really modeled that was disaster response. That was about, you know, immediate needs and a lot of need all of a sudden. And so, so that was the inspiration anyways, that was the, the core of the campfire restoration project was to develop into an ecosystem restoration camp. And, you know, it was like work that we need to do all the time, but then there was already this structure that was created through the Ecosystem Restoration Camp Foundation, which is based based in the Netherlands. Um, But John has been traveling all over the world and, and looking at different potential models. At the time, there was only one camp in Spain and a second camp that just started in Mexico. So Camp Altiplano and uh, Via Organica in Mexico. And there was no camp in the U.S. And I was like, okay, here we go. This is right, the thing. Right. And I was already invited to be on the council in California. It was supposed to be in February, but it turned out they had to postpone it to March. Um, anyways, we, we met with all these amazing people, permaculturists, uh, ecosystem restoration you know, experts from all over the place in California. And we, you know, but, but I've been to a lot of these situations where there's no action at the end, you know, you're like, you're coming up with all these great ideas and it's really great. And, and that's important. Don't get me wrong, but I wanted to seize the opportunity with paradise. And, and so I brought these little uh, cards, you know, like little business cards with the date, I just, a week before I came up with the date and we only raised like, at this point, we already spent a lot of our money 
and I only raised like $5,000 and it would have cost like, I thought 30 to $40,000 to do what I wanted to do. And I was just like, all right, we're going to do it. <laughs> and so we, yeah. so I put it mm-hmm. out there and everybody was just on it because there was nothing to take action on from that whole weekend. And so people were like, yes, let's do this. Let's figure this out. And so within two weeks after that, I think we raised $20,000 for that first camp. And then we talked a little bit after that. So we had gone through that whole process, right? We, uh, we had a second camp coming up. That was the fall camp. The first one, we restored a school in Megalia. Um, and, you know, we did a lot of action there. And we stayed at a property that was in between Orville and uh, Chico that was sort of like a permaculture site. So we did a lot of demonstration stuff there. We came together as a community, looked like, what is what do we need to have a sustainable camp, right? Like compost toilets, like we, you know, communal kitchen, like this, this, this gray water uh, campus space. Like we had to figure it all out. Like what would we need for all these people? So we had roughly a hundred people come out for the first camp. And then the second camp, I think when we talked, it was still very uncertain. What was Yeah. You're writing that, that whole concept of it still. Yeah. Right. And, and then as it got closer, um, we had got some more funding and then I, reached out this time to a group that I had met from the ecosystem restoration camps called permaculture action network. And my friend, Ryan rising, who does some really amazing work and his team. And I said, Hey, this time I'm going to hire you guys to, to help run the event. And he's tied into all these like big artists and stuff like that. And their whole plan is kind of like Polish ambassador, you know, where they go around, they do these like action days and they have, bands and they have music, oh, cool. and stuff, nice. you know, and they bring it all together. And so I was like, yes, we need to do this. It's going to be the anniversary of the, the fire in paradise. Um, Alan Myers was doing his own event with regenerating paradise, where they did the whole thing in the park. Um, I don't know if you were able to get, get there during that. No, but no. Like, yeah, it was not. It was, it was great. It was like the first, you know, and they had that park that was on off skyway there, like, the one right there in the middle. I can't remember the name. Yeah, I know right? what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Had all these people come and, and we brought a whole bunch of solutions uh, there. And yeah. And then the next day we had this restoration event and it was amazing. So it was at the Paradise Community Guild. We had Rising Appalachia come and play. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and they promoted it throughout their tour. So like they were in Oakland, I think the week before and they had um, promoted a bunch. So a whole bunch of people. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So a whole bunch of people came yeah. out from the Bay area. Like we were actually possibly going to get, um, yeah, some other, some other big bands, uh, Willie Nelson's son, you know, oh, cool. Luke Nelson and stuff. He he's works with them a lot. And, uh, but you know, I was like, I'm happy with whatever, you know, we have music. Great. Let's do it. Uh, my friend, Miguel Elliott, who's a, a master, uh, Cobb, you know, like, uh, natural building expert came out and he had his like demonstration pizza oven that he builds like a mobile Cobb pizza oven. He was like serving pizzas and we had just all these incredible activities, you know, wicking beds. Um, you know, we, 
we chopped down trees. We had, um, you know, people show them how to like drop a tree, how to, you know, how to use a chainsaw, <laughs> you right. know, um, chopping and dropping, removing. We did swales. We built like all these earthworks to catch water. And where um, was this in paradise? This was at the paradise community guild. Okay. Which was, uh, formerly the paradise, um, Grange. Oh, the Grange. And okay. I don't know if you guys know the whole thing with the Granges, but there's this whole thing about the Granges around the country. Um, it's yeah. So the Granges like kicked out a whole bunch of states that they didn't think was politically aligned with oh, them. I have not yeah. heard any Grange drama now. Yeah. There's, there's some Grange drama. <laughs> I will I will have to look into that on the side. A lot of a lot of older ladies throwing biscuits at each other. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it, no, it's serious. Uh, they they had some issues, and so they metaphor, metamorphosed uh, to the Paradise Community Guild, okay. it was Norton Buffalo Hall in Paradise. It was a really awesome music venue, and just a, a incredible space. You know, like many places up there, and it got totally destroyed by the fire. And our, some of our board of directors were connected to that place. And, um, and again, you know, I think I mentioned it in my, in the last podcast, I wanted to focus on community spaces and public spaces, like, like schools and public spaces for the restoration work. Cause all the stuff from the ecosystem restoration camps before that was all about broad scale, you know, landscape and, and then Camp Altiplano was like a private farm and the place in Spain was a private farm, you know, but it was degraded and it needs restoration. Everywhere needs restoration. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere, you know, but in this situation where you have a huge community, it's like, and you want to get to, be, you, you want to get busy quickly. Well, what's, what's the best thing to do? Well, put it in a public place. So yeah, people can, can see the restoration, they can experience it, they can um, learn from it, and they can feel the changes that occur. So you lower temperatures because you planted trees the right way and you kept caught water and you, um, you know, restored everything around it faster than normally could be, even potentially faster than nature can do. That's something to see. And that's to go into some of those techniques just for people to get it, even maybe they didn't listen to you the first time, but just kind of go into some of those techniques that you just mentioned on how you can lower the temperature and do things like that. Yeah, sure. Well, just to, I mean, just to finish the time, I'm, I'm going to get way into it, but <laughs> um, the, it was just an amazing event and we did all these things and, um, and yeah, I mean, people were, they felt like they really did something. And this That's was a, awesome. We had a 10 day, this one was 10 days actually. So we had the main event was, was over a weekend and we had about a hundred and I'd say 20 or so people show up and do all this work. And I was like planting, you know, cover crop with the band, like rising Appalachia. Like I had them out there. I was like, you're not getting away with not working. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. you know, we're going to do it too. And so it was real fun. And we got, you know, got to get close with everybody and, um, and people cried and people, 
uh, went and we had therapists and we had um, massage and we awesome. had Reiki and we had like all these different elements available counselors um, pure water, like through osmosis filters and this and that, you know, like pretty much demonstrating everything that was possible that we could, you know, and, um, and anyways, it was a great event. So what are we doing? And, and what is, uh, I'm sorry, what was your it's name? Vaden. Gaden? Vaden. V-A-D-E-N. Vaden. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked that we have another person, uh, in the podcast. I didn't even, I didn't realize in the first time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks man. Um, it's important to, I, are you like, you're like the, you're honing, you're the honing. <laughs> I was trying to hone us into to, back yeah. to, uh, back to, I just want to be able to, cause I, I feel like there's probably a lot of people who maybe didn't listen to the first one who started listening, who, who might need to get caught back up on just some of the the aspects and things of what you do to get them to be like, okay, now I kind of fill in the backstory a little bit. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Rex, keep him around. He's, it's a really, <laughs> a really important role. I'm just here with you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's important. So um, what we're doing, the main life elements are sun, water, accumulating organic matter and biodiversity and necrodiversity. Ooh, necro, meaning, meaning uh, the diversity of minerals and other things that are not alive. So that's our, that's our friends in the equation of restoration and building ecosystems, building life systems. So we have plenty of sun in California. We know yeah. that it's burning our forests alive uh and many other factors but we don't have enough water right we have enough water so we get enough from water when it rains but we don't keep enough water mm -hmm. on the landscape our forests are actually not forests like we think of them the most important thing i want to get people to understand is that the for us forest service cal fire um they're the foresters of california now the forestry department once was in a different department of the government but then it was or, i'm sorry well obviously the foresters are federal and you know cal fire right. does the state stuff so at one point it was a different department it was its own department and then I think it was about, I think it was in the fifties or so that they changed, they put the department of forestry in the ag department. So department of agriculture. And this is a really important piece to understand. Once we put the forestry service in the ag department, it was just like any other ag. So when we look at those forests and when we define what a forest means, it's a timber harvest system. Right. It's an orchard. Mm. Okay. This is a really important thing. And we're not looking at diversity. We're not looking at species. We're not looking at any of this kind of stuff. We're literally look out in, in the Sacramento Valley and drive through the orchards. And you can see that's our goal. Okay. 
when historically the forests were managed by, you know, animals and Native American people, they were consistently burned. And there was an overstory canopy tree system, these old growth trees, massive trees. Um, and so when a fire came through, we'd call out the weak. Um, and, and some of that was natural and some of that was by design. The Native Americans uh, managed the systems around where they were. And, uh, and then the lightning and the animals did all the other work. Okay. And so it was in this constant regime. And so it was a patchwork quilt of trees. And then there was these meadows in between and a lot of herbaceous plants that were food for understory animals and humans were one of those understory animals. And so when that system changed and we realized, oh my God, we could plant way more trees on this land for the rain that is available. So they changed this model and they started thinking of it like a nursery model where it's, you know, we're going to, we're going to start these nurseries and plant trees. And so who are the best people to grow trees or, you know, grow stuff, the ag department. So they put the forestry service under the ag department. And I'm giving you this whole background because it's really a fundamental understanding of like what we need to do in the forest and what, what I'm doing when I do my work. So um, with that, there's a lack of diversity incentive. There's a lack of, you know, you don't really care so much about the animal situation. We just want to grow trees. Monocrop. Right? Monocrop. It's like a, it's like a quadro, you know, crop, but it's, uh, it's still very weak in diversity. Um, when we, when they go through a system, they, um, they cut everything down in like a 10 or 20 acre patch and they leave one or two trees, you know, like a little tiny piece. And then they actually spray it with herbicide. And then they plant these, um, you know, up to four or five varieties of trees. Uh, the unfortunate part is that there's all these other trees that come up that have become hardier and hardier pioneer species, which are like tan oak, madrone or manzanita, um, buckbrush, you know, all these Scott's like broom or Scotch broom or whatever. Maybe it, it depends on the situation, but let's say we're way up there. There's no Scotch broom. There's no, you know, any of that um, way up on the mountain. The, the things that they crowded out because they're the things that have developed a, a tolerance to spray, you know, some kind of spray herbicide and also um, the rough conditions. So when, when they cut these forests down, it goes back to a Mediterranean um, system. It comes, you know, it's, it's those lower elevation systems, chaparral, right? So we've brought in like a high elevation system down to a chaparral system and it's really rough. It's hot. It's like, it's like a climate. It's like on the edge of desert, right? It's, it's right there on the edge and it's a pioneer species that's supposed to evolve and, and, you know, go into a higher expression which is an overstory canopy system, you know, with a diversity of native species thin because there was a whole bunch of grazing animals back then. There was a whole bunch of, um, you know, bears and beavers and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And the big ones that we don't talk about are 
the microbes in the soil, right? The fungi and the bacteria, the protozoa, all the different things in the soil, but also this incredible ocean nutrient that we don't have anymore, the salmon. Mm -hmm. They used to get, you know, they go way up in the mountains and then the bear and the birds and everything would pull it into the forest, right? And then spread, spread it out. Wow. So there was this cutoff a couple hundred, you know, 150 or so years ago for sure of all of that, right? And we cut down the, all the gold growth trees were cut down. The beavers were, you know, were hunted. The, you know, all these elements started to reduce Rivers were dammed. Yeah. The rivers yeah. were dammed, like, right? So all this happened. So the way I look at it is like, that was the charge on the battery of the forest. And at one point, the charge was removed from that battery. We've been riding the battery ever since. And there's certain elements that are still there, but it's nothing comparative to what used to be there. So. And then they've increased these negative elements. So they've overstacked the forest with timber harvest trees, the forest, timber harvest trees, um, logging companies own massive parts of land and everything. And, and I'll be honest, like a lot of logging companies have tried lots of cool stuff over the years. And I'm not against loggers. I'm not against um, these things. I'm not, I used to work for the forestry department. Like I'm not, but the problem is, is that it's been a, a big, um, educational gap mm -hmm. with these, with these agencies. And, um, because it was the biologists in the forest department are kind of like, they're the least, you know, they do little, little, this little, that, but they don't really lead anything in the forestry department. Meanwhile, we have all these alternative building materials now where honestly, like we need wood less and less. Yeah, last week we had on uh, someone that was a alternative builder and he built with uh, rammed earth. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it was a really cool interview and a beautiful building technique. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And I mean, that's all those technologies, but the point is, is that I guess, you know, there's all these, these alternatives, but we've been clinging to uh, these older systems and you know, and that's been pushing the evolution forward into a lower expression, a de-evolution, right? In these mm -hmm. systems. And, uh, and what I've seen just in my own experience, my own eyes is that going up the mountain, you, you see areas that have, were like massively massive die off from uh, sudden oak death for one, or the is that bark beetles. What is that? No, it's a fungus. Okay. Huh. And then there's bark beetles, which was the next thing I was going to say. Why? Why all of a sudden you get these vast areas that get taken out was because there isn't the decomposers anymore. There isn't the fungi, the bacteria in the soil to break down those elements. And there's too many elements out there. So these other species have come in to take that niche. It's the fungi predatory in that case it's and and it's the uh pine borer beetles and there's other elements that are coming in you know so those were all at play this is all part of this grand like scale 
de-evolutionary pattern. Yeah, the system's broken. Yeah, I would say too, it sounds like, it seems like I always hear people say, and I don't know if this is just like, if it's that popular of an opinion that people are like, oh, there's all these fires now because they're not logging anymore. I'm taking it that, not that I'm saying I subscribe to that belief, but it's obviously much more complicated than just a simple like, oh, they're just not logging anymore. Mm. These are the problems with talking points and why yeah, I, appreciate, yeah. I appreciate long form conversation like Absolutely. a podcast, right? There's, yeah, there's the talking points and there's some truth to all of it. There is some truth to that, but in this case, you know, they created the problem as well. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, it needs to be logged, but you have to be thoughtful of how you do it. And if you like, okay, my, my best return on that comment is that deserts don't burn. So yeah, you can, you can log the crap out of it. You know, but deserts don't burn. Yeah. And you can, it's like healthcare. You can deal with the symptoms or you can deal with the yeah. service. Yeah, the exactly. yeah, exactly. Proactive. So yes, the symptoms hundred percent. And there is some major need and use for all of that, right? That we need to thin the poor force because at this point it's like, okay, some places we won't have anything left if we don't do it. So mm-hmm. if, even if it causes damage, like major damage, when we do it, it's maybe preserving, but it has to be strategic. And if we don't like the best example, I was in paradise just yesterday and I was helping a friend out with his lot. And I don't do this kind of work very often anymore, but a good friend of mine moved far away. And he says, dude, they're getting on me about the weed abatement. I need help. I've got the tools to help them. I was like, okay. I, I went up there and I started clearing his lot. And a neighbor on the other side, very, you know, uh, upright guy trying to do the right thing. He just like scraped everything down to the bare red clay soil. Everything like, like with that, like with a bolt, like a cat or something like that. But he just yeah. scraped it off. Yeah. I'm not sure. And he was out there raking when I got there and he was like, you know, everything was just sterile, but he's not going to take it. Yeah. Not going to take it from, from paradise. But if everybody does this and if we follow the fire recommendations, for instance, of, you know, let's put like gravel around our home, you know, like let's just put rock around our house. Let's do, let's, you know, let's put cement over here. Let's, you know, let's just like cap off all this potential fire. We're increasing the overall temperatures, which means we're increasing the overall drought conditions, Mm. which dried out the forest to begin with, which will create a much more severe fire condition. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, when you were talking earlier about how, you know, the impact from clear cutting and now, you know, I'm looking at these fire scars and I'm like, are we just are these all these fires is turning us into a desert eventually? I mean, what's the restoration plan on these mass on this large scale? You know, it's got to be crazy. Well, I think, did I go into the Holy grail of restoration on the last podcast? I'm not sure. I don't remember it. 
so when I, so the first time I met John Liu, um, we, we stayed up late and we were at this like place in, in uh, Los Altos hidden Villa. It's this really cool venue, like way in this like little nook up there. And, you know, I was super stoked. I just met John, like he's supporting the project, you know, he's telling me all these stories of all, he's been over 190 something countries, you know, wow. like, like he's mm-hmm. consulted with like Royal families, you know, um, he's, he's been all over. I mean, he's a simple camera guy that like realized what was going on and started to study ecology and then framed it and then went on this mission to like tell that story all over the world. So he's very similar to you guys, man. I mean, really what it is, is, is how you frame the story. Right. And, um, and so he, and nobody was, and so he got invited all over and he started studying more and he getting paid to go study, you know, these systems and people that are doing this work. And anyway, so I meet John, we're up late. Uh, we're drinking scotch <laughs> actually, because John likes scotch and I happen to bring some scotch. because I <laughs> <laughs> And we were having a little nightcap that turned from like 12 midnight to two o'clock in the morning. And we ended up talking about all the things. And John showed me this. He said, Hey, you know, I want to show you this presentation. I haven't done it for anybody yet, but I wanted to show it to you uh, and get your idea. And it was about the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt, right? And he's working with a group that's studying the Sinai Peninsula and how to restore that area. As you know, it's one of the most degraded places on earth. It was one of the most um, overused agricultural spaces. You know, we came from the Fertile Crescent with agriculture and then moved to basically Sinai, right? In Egypt. Mm -hmm. And the Egyptians like took that and they just went crazy with it right and they full on animal husbandry you know all that and and they pretty much just destroyed that whole landscape and john was showing me the historical um images you know like they have like these maps that they created and um also the the temperature gauges which showed the riverbeds uh, that used to be there. So there used to be seven rivers that flowed through the Sinai, wow. seven wow. rivers. Uh-huh. And it literally like the Sinai looks like a heart and it has these veins that look like vein oh. heart oh, cool. going through it. And so what he could show was there were seven rivers going through. Moses talked about it as the land of milk and honey, right? The Sinai, Mount Sinai, right? right. And, and in a couple thousand years, they just completely desertified that area. So they were studying historical pollen records of that area. And one of the things that they, they discovered was that the wind used to blow in a different direction. And at one point during this process of intense agriculture and, and intense um you know, animal husbandry and, you know, grazing, they had reversed the wind pattern, like the wind patterns changed and they went a different direction because it was instead of a condensation driven wind that was pulled in from the, I think the Red Sea and, and that, and then there was like these two other major little channels 
um, it actually went the other way. And it was an evaporative driven wind that was created. And he believes John was his theory on that. And what the, the, the scientists that were studying this area was that it actually changed the global wind patterns. Wow. Wow. Back then. Right. Right. And that changed everything. And what was interesting, he, he calls it a acupuncture point on the earth. And you're looking at the earth and it's literally like right in the dead center and everywhere on the same, um, same line at longitude, right. On the planet longitude, right. I think so. Yeah. I'll see that day. I think so. Okay, long ways, long ways. Long. Yeah. Long. Yeah. Um, everything that there's a strip of desert all around the planet right there. California is right on that same longitude. Okay. On that same longitude, California is right there. Goes to the Sahara boom all the way around. And it was like, Whoa. And when I realized that, and you know, I've been studying permaculture for a number of years already. And I, and I, I'm, I'm learning more. I'm really fascinated with thermodynamics. Right. And that's one of those constants in the universe that, you know, you want to follow. And I, I was like, Oh my God, I had an aha moment. And I, and I immediately grabbed a map and I looked at paradise and where the fire started in Polga. And then I looked at the Canyon and I followed the wind and I went up the wind pattern and guess where it goes, it goes to right up to Portola and the high desert uh, of Nevada. And that, on the map, you could see it right as clear as day when we right, we looked it up. All the logging that had been done for the last 15 years, that was the highest density logging area uh, over the last 15 years. So my theory is that because they removed that really crucial um, strip of forest. Now you look at California, there's really only two major strips of forest, right? Is the, the coastal right uh, system and, and the Sierras, yeah. And mm-hmm. the Sierras right and if you follow that wind pattern like they had removed this massive chunk by 20 acre 10 acre whatever clear cuts all next to each other with like one tree and so what we did is we brought the high desert into the canyon and we brought that evaporative wind into that area and it had been drying out this area for a long time Already, it's naturally drying it out because it's the high desert's right there on California. But then we removed more of it, this buffer, this this critical buffer, and so it's been drying us out forever. And when we had those those winds that day, this extreme wind and the years of accumulative dry conditions, years of accumulative lack of life, years of um, accumulative lack of nutrient etc cetera, etc cetera. biomass all the things i mentioned before it was a perfect storm right you know and so it hit and it hit hard and and that pushed that so <laughs> so i'm like two o'clock in the morning like what like i'm like realizing this thing i'm like okay evaporation drives wind wind dry, creates drought drought creates fire conditions extreme fires And then I also started thinking about the earth, like as a whole, and how do you go about or conch out or, you know, the the burn scar of there, how do you go about fixing it? Well, you start from the source. 
right? You start from where the buffer zone starts from the high desert and you work your way back. Because if you fix everything down below and you don't fix the buffer, then you don't actually heal. And it's also the higher place up in the mountains. So it's like the water also comes from there, right? Everything like you're saying with the, the analogy of health, if you mm-hmm. treat the symptoms versus treating the problem. Mm-hmm. And so like, I never would have guessed that that would have been where your answer was, but that's now that you met, now that you break it down like that, it just makes total sense. And it's, it's one of those types of things that they don't really teach in, uh, you know, well, definitely not in forestry department and those kind of places like in fire, right there. It's a symptomatic. And, and again, this is no dis on, on firefighters or forestry or anything like that. It's not about that. They're hardworking, amazing people that right. are doing an incredible job, just like doctors. Right. right. Yeah. But, but let's be honest. Like most of those systems are trauma yep. care. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's where they shine, right? Is trauma care. Like we come in after we do a really good job. We make sure that there's the least amount of loss, right? Mm-hmm. Of systems, whatever it is. But what are we doing on the preventative care? How are we looking at the whole system? And so, um, so I realized, okay, so we need to actually like work from up there, up at the high desert where the source of the drying and, and the, you know, the extreme elements are coming from, and we buffer it all the way through. We, we help create channels for the wind to block it. We also create hydrological uh, systems. So to your answer uh, (laughs) a lot earlier, was, uh, you know, we create, we mimic the beaver is the best thing to say. Trap we, as much water along the way as you can. Yeah. Yep. From the highest to the lowest. So, we so beavers used to be way more prevalent than they are now. I mean, I still see, you know, beavers when we go camping or if I'm up in Tahoe, but they used to be a lot more prevalent than they are now. And that, that one thing alone, when they eradicated the, the beaver changed the ecosystem drastically. Yeah, that was one of the biggest, you know, I, I can't say what is bigger, but the beaver was definitely on the top of the list. Um, yeah. They, you know, everywhere they were spread, spread and sink water. There was, they estimated there was like 20 million beaver on the West Coast back before settlement. And then it went down to 1100 uh, recorded. And was um, that done mainly <laughs> just for beaver pelts or was it done for other like or i can't even say it agriculture reasons or was it just for basically pelts yeah i mean pelts drove the system for sure you know and then some people yeah obviously agricultural purposes you know and and they could cause you know problems in the water sources that they had you know like a beaver dies in there but that's really yeah, that's kind of funny. It's not, not entirely true. And, um, but there was such a good price for purses. That's mm-hmm. what their main use, right? was purses and hats and all kinds of stuff, but, uh, there was a good price and, um, and they looked at them as the enemy, you know, at the time, because, uh, they wanted to, uh, 
yeah, create these lands where, where they could move water to where they wanted to, and they didn't want anything interfering with that. So uh, we need to get bumper stickers that say, bring back the beavers, bring back, bring the, back beavers. the beavers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all good. I'm a beaver believer is my little beaver. Oh <laughs> yeah. There you go. I'm a beaver believer. That's a good one. Bumper sticker too. Yeah. There's a, there's a great documentary called beaver believers um, nice. that we hosted in, in Chico um, but anyways, yeah. The- Matthew, I had, a, I had a question for you. I did a stint for the Forest Service a couple like years ago. It was probably 12, 13 years ago in Six Rivers Forest. And we talked about prevention. We did very little prevention. I was doing fire. I was on a hand crew. We did maybe a couple weeks in May and then a couple weeks at the end of the year. But basically what we would do, we'd go through, we'd try and cut underbrush, stack it up, and then you'd burn it in mm-hmm. October or November. Do you see that prevention as being beneficial or do you look at that type of preventative measure and you're like, oh, you guys are doing it wrong? No, that's great. Um, yeah, it's important. All the things that they do are, are good, um, but it's the scale of which that we need to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got to be careful because there are some very sensitive systems where we can't like exactly just burn like a a prescribed burn in an area without doing a whole bunch of work pre-work ahead of time. And, and it's also like we have to build these systems back up again because we don't have the, the elements there anymore to help regenerate those systems. So Mm -hmm. it's like back when the native Americans were burning a lot there was so many other elements that were there to recover the system yeah right they would come in and when there was new regrowth they would like you would eat and drop their nutrient and you know and and just like help thin it the bears would break down branches and and help decompose stuff like the higher level trophic level of decomposition um so many things at play right and the microbes were happy and healthy because of all that um, understory growth and the animals and the manures and stuff that went through the system. So um, it, we've got to be careful and we really need to study like, you know, on small scales, what's going on, but we also need to do a lot of work. So it's a very tough situation we've got ourselves into because in reality, like humans can't um, do all the work alone. Like mm-hmm. I don't blame the forestry. I don't blame the fire, you know, people in any sense, because it's this massive issue and it's not just their fault. When I worked for the forestry, a similar amount of time, like 10 years, you know, 12 years ago, um, they had just shut down a million miles of forestry roads. And the reason was because there wasn't enough um, demand for using these places anymore in our national forests. And so they did an assessment. I was actually part of the group doing the assessment. We go out with uh, Grimbles or whatever, you know, and Trimbles and, you know, do the GPS mapping of sites and old, you know, trails and see if it's worth it. And and then they would match the data from people going in these places, right? And see if it's worth for us to either shut down the road or to put money into restoring it. And so that year a million miles got shut down and so consciousness of humans of being in the forest and going just wanting to go to the forest 
um, whether it's the rat race of their lives in the cities, you know, whatever, they just don't have money or time to leave or whatever it is. There was just huge like downturn in usage of the forest. And that to me, it reflects this whole psychological situation that's going on, right. With people and their connection with forest and connection with nature. Um, and meanwhile, you know, you've got like, a couple hundred foresters that are like in Oroville and every day we load up at seven o'clock and it takes us an hour. And then we go up in the forest and we're there by like 11, mm-hmm. you know, cause it takes hours to get into mm-hmm. the spot we're going in and we work for a couple hours and then we have to come back to get, you know, back on time. And it's like, how much work can you really do in a day? You know, yeah. and I'm not saying that and even if we th- threw so much money at it, we're not going to be able to manage the forest by ourselves we need the animals, you know, we need all these other life elements to come in and do that work. And we need to bring stewards back into the forest. We need to actually bring people into the forest. We need to create some sort of model, like uh, a hybrid of the homesteading act or something that's like not bad, you yeah. know, like a good version of that where, where we're using uh, instead of economic viability, it's about ecosystem restoration viability and we can use uh, some sort of um, overlay like the Mining Claim Act where, uh, you know, like you can lease land for really cheap if you're doing that work. And you can continue to lease that land for really cheap if you're continuing to do that work and showing pr- progress. Hmm. And and I like that. That's a great idea. Because humans, that that's the thing people need to understand. Really we we are in essential to the restoration of this world like we have it's there's no way we can do it without humans <laughs> like the idea that humans like are the scourge on the earth like if we removed humans right now the whole thing would just probably collapse i mean there would be parts of the world but there would be a lot of bad shit that happens um if we are actually behaving like humans are supposed to engaging as part of nature like we are and we're actually able to see the connections between elements and assist uh, natural systems and, and natural energy patterns, then we can speed up these processes and we can actually, you know, uh, yeah, we can be the most beneficial element on earth. Totally. I totally see that, you know? And so, um, we need more people in the forest, honestly. Like we have all these, we have this major housing crisis. We have all these young people all over the place that are, you know, dying for purpose and they're getting student loans and debt, you know what I mean? Before they've even started their lives. Um, why don't we bring these people into places like this, you know, and, and start ecosystem restoration camps or something like that to, you know, to get back, you know, uh, some sovereignty because every element in nature, it's working for itself. This is important. Like there is a truth behind like the whole capitalism model, like in a sense, because everything is working for themselves, but they're doing it in symbiotic relationship with each other because it's the highest benefit for themselves. Mm -hmm. And it was just an evolutionary pattern that was, was started millions of years ago you know and by that pattern it's benefiting everything around it 
it's creating a natural like nectar point and, you know, and things are able to come to it. And, and so like, we have to get back in there. Like we have to be part of that. If we think we're separate, there's no way to save it. Like it's going to always be devolving right into a lower expression. Um, and yeah. Do you know if there's any type of legislation in that kind of a direction? I mean, A, I think it's a great idea, but I have not heard anyone even remotely suggest that there be some kind of modern day Homestead Act. I think that's, that's. Don't say it like that. because I know, I know. It's not a good way to pass it. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, no, there's nothing like it. Um, I've been throwing out the idea for a while. been talking to some people. Well, hopefully it gets the right ears behind it because I yeah. I think there's a lot of truth behind what you just said right there. Sure. And uh, you know, maybe we're at this pivot point, you know, we're at a, a weird spot in uh human time right now in 2021. So maybe we can have uh you know some positive direction. Like we have all these I mean, I can look out my window and see fire scars that yeah. you know need help from the humans and from the animals because otherwise they're, they're slowly turning into deserts. Like you said. Yeah. And I think people need to, I think people are starting to get to the point, at least in California, Northern California, where we're at specifically, it's like people just accepted like, Oh, we just have huge fires towards throughout the summer and the end of the summer and obviously continue into October, November. Um, but you're right. Maybe it's the blessing is it's a turning point for people to be like, it doesn't, we don't have to just be like, Oh, this is just how it is from now on. You know, maybe we can start to think progressively about how we change, you know, our actions and change things to be able to not just be like, yeah, it's just, you know, really smoky for three months, you know, towards the, you know, end of the summer, fall. Yeah. I mean, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I I'm. Yeah. I hesitated to say that for a while, but I'm just going to be straightforward right yeah, now. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, the Dixie fire that's burning right now. I mean, have we known a longer fire to burn? Right. I don't yeah. think. And is it even close to being out? I mean, yeah. Is it going to be a million acres before it ends? Million acres. That's insane. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Like, it's like larger in some states, I think. Yeah. It's, um, it's not again on our radar because it's, it hasn't hit communities as much that are populated that we know of, you know, like as a collective whole, Mm -hmm. you know, like paradise was a really unique opportunity in the sense that it hit like a type of population that is a vast majority throughout California. Like, uh, you know, all different, all different, uh, financial you know levels right places, right but it was a big group there that was well off or you know, middle mm-hmm. class like you know average people had really nice houses they were like transplants from the bay area um and you know we know about disasters like there's so many out there in the world like you hear about this hurricane we hear about this you know, flood and this and that. Right. right. But they're in like, you know, developing nations or in, in these places, they're kind of far away. Like there's not the same kind of people that we're used to, whatever. And so they just go right that over. connection people. isn't there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at, Haiti, look at Haiti right now. Yeah. I mean, they're still devastated. You know, it's terrible in Haiti, but the news quit talking about that after yeah, day like one. One news cycle. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it, it's been a constant situation over there. And, you know, it's like, you hit, if you hear something enough, your brain just becomes numb of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, paradise was like that situation where you had a, a big population of people that, wow, they've never like, you know, they could relate to. And, and it actually, it spread really far because of that. And I think it actually got the most news coverage because I mean, the name was a big factor, obviously paradise, mm-hmm. but, but also it was, it was, you know, high dollar stuff. Like, you know, yeah. there's a lot of people. I feel like you saw an escalation too, because before that we had the, the Kofi fire in Santa Rosa, which is like, you wouldn't think of a fire intruding into Santa Rosa. Anyone who's been in that area, it's, it's not, it's not wooded, you know? Right. And then we also had the car fire up in Redding, which I mean, Redding's yeah, it's more wooded than Santa Rosa for sure. And it's kind of like, Oh, well, we're starting to see fires coming into city centers. And then obviously paradise is just like a nuclear bomb went city, off, just yeah. complete con- destruction. And it was like the escalation of this, this, and all of a sudden it was like, boom, this is what happened. And Matthew, I think you're so correct that it was, there's so many people who are like, well, I live in a town of 27,000 people. Like the fire is not going to devastate my town. That's only for places like Greenville. You know, unfortunately, Greenville got burned through. People are like, oh, that's just like some little town out in the out in the woods. Paradise is a city, you know, right. 27,000 people. That's a lot of people. A lot of people. I mean, you had probably 50,000 people displaced by that fire altogether, you know? Yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, nothing like we've ever seen. And so anyways, it was a big wake up call and Unfortunately, you know, I'm seeing the evolution of what's happening in paradise. And it seems like there's a lot of things that are happening that are not good mm-hmm. in, in the rebuilding process. A lot of so you can either learn from an experience and change, or you can ignore it and sort of like dive into your dichotomies that you're you're already had and and just really go full force into that. And and it's unfortunate, but, you know, it seems like the Paradise City Council and, and the people that were uh, at play right after the fire and granted like they're, they're dealing with all kinds of trauma on their own. Granted, there's just it's insane. It's just insane up there yeah. and dealing with the angry people, you know, probably yeah. not at their, you know, at their best place in life and state of mind, of course, but at the same time, um, you know, the people that showed up and the, they had town hall meetings like in the middle of the day, well, how are working class people going to show up to that? You know, so you had basically retired people and were running, up, right. have been making a lot of the decisions up there and they want to clean town. They want to get the, the riffraff out. They want to get it back to where they had. You're seeing these massive homes being built up there, like massive homes. You know, like they they changed the minimum square footage size to something ungodly. Like I can't oh, remember. Really? Oh really? Yeah. Went yeah. Up. It went up from wow, what that's it was interesting. Before. And so you're seeing these like it looks like you took a house and you injected it with steroids. <laughs> i've heard it's been like that where it's like modular modular just elaborate house like modular 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 elaborate house like that's kind of like what paradise is looking it's like been now. a minute since i've driven through paradise so i should take a drive up there it's yeah. really interesting i'll tell you i mean you know i've been really studying the whole process and and how it's going i'm very happy that just this i think it was last weekend or a weekend before um they passed the extension for um, RVs 
uh, on oh, that's good. Yeah. in paradise. It was like the end of it, you know? And so you have like hundreds of people up there still in RVs. Oh, they were going to try and kick out. They were going to have an RV. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Ordinance was done, man. They, they gave them an extension, extension. They're like, Nope, we're, you're out. And people are on their land. They, they don't have yeah. anything. They're trying to make it work. Like, work with us here kind of thing, you know? And, uh, but it was a huge downturn. So, uh, yeah, the, the community came out in force and was like, no, this is not okay. And called out a whole bunch of BS that was going on up there. And, you know, again, not to like, you know, blame anyone particularly, but, um, you know, we've got to really preserve some of these fundamental life, uh, mm-hmm. you know, resources and, I mean, the, com- the community of paradise was always a diverse community with a lot of different um, financial elements, you know, that made it what it is. And it's like, okay, if you can't have this type of people in your town, you're not going to have workers in your restaurants. Everything's going to go up because everybody's coming in from what Chico or some other place, which has no housing to begin with. Like, come right. on. Yeah. You've got to figure it out here. Um, so that's been interesting to watch. <laughs> Well, fast forward us a little bit to, you know, the bear fire. I know that you were impacted directly from the bear fire. Can you tell us a little bit about how that and, and what that's looked like for you over the last year? Yeah. So I, I gave, <laughs> I basically created this incredible council for the campfire restoration project. Uh, I've been sort of working with a few people to take my, you know, to like take over positions that I was doing. And I found someone who was amazing. Her name is Geneva Sorensen. And she ended up taking over my executive uh, director role. Awesome. Fire restoration project. And I did the first time ever walked, like stepped out of a project that I created yeah. and had an amazing group of people. And it lives on. That is awesome. testament right there. That's congratulations, man. Yeah. It's huge. And I mean, I, I, that was the first time I ever did that. And it was like, wow you know, that's really empowering. You know, it's like, that's really important. And that's, you know, regenerative. If you can't like pass something on and it continues, well, it's, it's not worth it anyways. Right. Like if you can't, it can't evolve and it can't outlive you. And I do it in my lifetime where, you know, I can still help and, and help guide and, you know, do all the things, um, and still be part of it and maybe even run it at some point again. I don't know, but, um, it was an important time for me and I needed to step away and focus on family and my situation and just like all the projects that I had going before the campfire, right? you know, a, a bit about. And so I started focusing on those and, um, and stepping away from the, you know, like the limelight, if you will, you know, of all that. And it was nice. And I was like really gearing up to try to get back up to my property in Berry Creek to start to do the critical post-fire restoration work that needed to be done. And I was basically set up for, you know, around fall of 2020. I was like, all right, I'm going to hit it hard. I've been talking to a lot of my, you know, uh, forestry restoration people. Like, we're going to do these things. We're going to do mushroom logs. Like, we've got all this material. We've got, you know, all this potential firewood. Like, I used to sell firewood bundles. And I had, like, strings of 
places that would buy them all the way up to like Truckee and stuff. And so we're going to like do firewood bundles. We're going to do all this cool, make all these products and, and have this great thing. And anyway, September 8th, my mom's birthday, uh, the bear fire, North oh. fire came through and, you know, I had the I had 12 acres up there, um, just bought it for my folks, uh, not too long before that. Um, and it was like, you know, where I grew up going to the mountains and it was like our cabin, you know? So I wasn't mm. living there. Very important for people to understand. So I wasn't living there. I didn't lose my livelihood, just a whole lot of memories, a whole lot of stuff, you know, um, had things stored there, like, you know, family things and whatever, but, um, not as impacted as most of the people in that fire. Uh, although it still hurt <laughs> mostly, um, the forest was the big one for me. It was like, yeah, just knowing that forest, like back of my hand and, you know, every little nook and cranny. And now I can't, it's like, I'm starting to forget what it looked, looked like before. Mm-hmm. I just realized that the other day and I was like, Oh, that's, that sucks. Like I'm kind of forgetting. So I have to look at pictures and stuff, but, um, yeah, 12 acres up there, Berry Creek got hit hard. I was in actually like the direct center of the original fire, like the main fire that came through. So my property there on 162, uh, near brush Creek in Berry Creek. So I'm kind of on the other side of the mountain where a lot of people don't live. And that fire came through like just blazing. Same conditions, same wind situation. Um, and by the time it got there, you know, we're talking about 350,000 or something acres had burned behind it. Right. So the fire only increased in intensity and everything. So I didn't know for weeks, but when I got up there, it was just sticks left. There was literally like maybe 5% of all the trees on the property alive. Wow. Out of 12 acres. So it was like there was no topsoil. There was nothing. And I had like six inches of topsoil on that property. Right. I had, you know, like it was crazy, but it was definitely overstocked. It wasn't healthy. Um, it was all from a 25 or so, 30 year regrowth of a log that was done on the property before my parents bought it way back when 86. Um, and so, you know, it was, uh, mostly tan Oak, uh, regrowth, very dense, you know, black out the sun kind of density. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I knew it and it was part of the thing, like why I didn't develop it until that point. I was like, okay, I want to do all this stuff, but I'm not going to invest any money into the property until, you know, we, I have a good amount of time. Like I was, that's why I was going to hit it hard in the fall. I was like, okay, fall, I'm going hard. And then I'm going to try to create enough fire situation, fire, fire clearance by spring and summer of the next year. Okay. This is the year. And bam, you know, but I don't think it would have mattered, you know, like because of the intensity of this fire, right. like How all fast. Yeah. fires, it's wind driven. It's um, dynamic. It's, it's climax, you know, it's all these things. So, um, yeah, I was, I was obviously very depressed. And then I, I was like, you know, I don't know about this property, but I don't know if I'm going to like, want to, what do I want to do? And then, 
you know, obviously I wanted to preserve this and that. I want to make sure there wasn't erosion. I wanted to make it the best that it could be. And once I started working the land again, doing that little bit of work, uh, you know, and I, I actually, this is, this is something like I'll pat myself on the back. Um, I, the same situation was in Berry Creek as paradise, right? All the erosion, um, and, and toxic runoff, nobody's doing anything about it again. It was even less in the limelight this time. So there wasn't like that push behind it. Right. Um, and so I ended up talking to local government. I had known a lot of them by now. I was on this call every week, uh, with the strategic, uh, planning like group. It was fire forestry, um, fire safe council, uh, fish and wildlife, like a couple other groups, NRCS, I think RCD. Um, and I've been in that ever since the campfire. I was like on this group, <laughs> little permaculture, Matthew, like, who knows? I don't know why I was put in this group, but somehow I'm there, you know? And, uh, and so I'm talking to these guys, there's no funding this time. So I start hitting the pavement. I got the news out there. Um, I was hired by Lake Madrone community to do uh, a demonstration. And so I invited the, the news and then I, I said a few things, you know, I said, you know, the county's not doing anything about this. Da, da, da. And next thing you know, I'm getting all these calls. What do we do? So the guy from the, the county that I had worked with a little bit in the campfire, he was the head of the planning department uh, there. He ends up, uh, you know, saying, Hey, look, this is a possibility. You know, we can make this uh, proposal. So I ended up doing GIS mapping and like showing all the water streams, you know, the class one, class two streams and the whole area, how close certain amount of houses were, you know, to, to that site. And we came up with an estimate of how many linear feet of wattles that we would need, blah, blah, blah. Wow. And, and um, somehow <laughs> by the luck of, the universe, uh, we ended up getting them to propose this to um, the Cal, uh, Cal OES, which asked for the funding from FEMA. And we got like a million dollar wattle project put in to oh, very oh, awesome. Community. So like there was like, I don't know how, I can't remember how many linear feet off the top of my head right now. But it was like a massive amount of footage of wattles. The Cal uh, California Conservation Corps installed them. We also gave them out to individual homeowners uh, in a couple of events. We trained people how to use them. I even trained the those guys a little bit. Um, it was incredible, and you know, it could it could have done it could have been better and stuff, you know. But uh, yeah, it was it was amazing and. Yeah, that sounds like you taking action again, man. That's awesome. It was pretty cool. And yeah, and just we had the very first meeting in Berry Creek of any of the survivors too at this church. Um, and I was able to bring all these different resources that to them. We gave away trees, we gave away seed for cover crop, we had NRCS that was giving out money for land restoration work. We um like did all this cool stuff and uh taught them about erosion, you know. Uh, and so that was really cool. And, you know, it got, it got everybody starting to think like this in the community, um, develop some other good relationships. And so, um, that was, that was that. And then I started focusing on, on my property and I've been going through it like everybody else has been going through it. And, you know, 
dealing with the cleanup and dealing with all that stuff, which is a long drawn out situation. Um, it's not even over for me yet. It's, um, going to be a year coming up on September 8th. Um, and so they've cleaned my property, uh, but they, I still haven't got my soil test back, you know, which is the last step basically. Uh, although they left some stuff in one area and they got to come back for that. I don't know. It's like, it's this back and forth thing that's been going on. And, um, yeah, once I got into the land, working the land up there again, I realized that it's, there's no away from all this stuff. Like we can't run away from it. In fact, these areas that have been devastated by any kind of climate disaster, you know, climate chaos, whatever you want to call it, it's the best place to be because we know the extremes already. We know we have a plan. We, we have a blank palette. You know, we know what the extremes are. We, we have a blank palette. Like we can rebuild and redesign the systems in a new way. Mm. Like we have the best opportunity in my great perspective, man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we go to fleet some other plays, I have friends that went to grass Valley, grass Valley is another tinderbox. It looks just like paradise. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked about that with grass Valley for sure. Chester, you know, my friends just moved to Chester, like just put the last of their stuff into Chester in a home in Chester. And then the Dixie fire started, you know, and it literally burned the whole community around them. Like their house yeah. is, still li- is still standing right now, but it burned everything around them. Like the whole reason they're moving up there. And I'm like, we just have to get over it. Like no matter where you are in the country, whether it's fire, flood, you know, hurricane, all the energies of the earth are picking up right now because ecosystems absorb energy. And we've mm. removed ecosystems. Makes a lot of sense, man. Yeah. Life absorbs energy. And if we don't like see that and understand it, like we really, and so where, yeah, it doesn't matter where you're at. <laughs> like I'd just rather be somewhere I know, okay, I've got, a, I've got a little bit of a, t- you know, some time to do what I need to do. But it's like two, three years it gives me enough time. You know, I can, I can create a buffer and I can, um, at least know that my home is not going to burn, you know, whatever I call home that I have a place to put like special belongings that's not going to burn that I have water systems that are going to be there when I get back. You know what I mean? Uh, it's these critical life elements, you know, like, yeah, the forest might burn again. Okay. But I want to make sure it burns less severe. And I want to make sure that I have trees that are going to withstand that kind of fire. I'm going to increase the nutrients, blah, blah, blah. But my home's not going to burn. Like I'm going to be able to come back and have a home base when it, when it all happens. That's yeah, all. Love that's, it, that's what I'm focused on. So right we got to kind of wind it down, but I do want to get in because I know you got a lot of other stuff going on. So before we go, um, you've got your co-op a box. Is that, is that so running strong? Yeah. All right. So tell people a little bit about what that is. Sure. Uh, yeah, the co-op box is like a, a hybrid CSA type of program that I came up with. Um, it's a cooperative of local farmers that it's a micro local. It's like 30 mile radius is my model um, of regenerative farmers. And we, uh, you know, put out a list every week. People can order from the list or they can do a sampler box, kind of like a CSA. It's like a, a bunch of stuff. 
Um, and the whole point of that was to build up a regenerative economy. So it's, it's food, but it's also other products, soaps and olive oils and, you know, you name it, crafts and stuff like that. So um, you have an outlet as a and small scale person. That's in Butte County as a whole. Is it in Oroville and the greater region around that? Is it stretching the Chico? Like if someone's listening to this in, in different parts of Butte, like would they be able to take advantage of that? So the hub site that I started is in Oroville. Okay. And so it's, it's, we have an Oroville co-op box. And then my friends, Tony and Caroline started one in Berry Creek as the second co-op box, which of course it's on hold right now. Uh, should be starting anytime soon. Don't yet have one that goes out to Chico or Concow or those areas. Uh, although I've been getting a lot of demand, we're going to try to build up our core little uh, hub models right. first to make get all the kinks out uh before we spread it out but we're hoping to uh by next year but if someone's in the oroville area let's say they live in chica but work in oroville they'd be able to still partake they just put an order and they'd pick it up in oroville kind of a thing yep you can okay. sign up by ordering your first one um or you can go on the website it's coopabox.com so you know it's like i wanted to create a model for uh farmers that have a life and can't go to like, can't go to the farmer's market every Saturday. They can't do deliveries. Right. Can't do all that stuff. So, you know, it's sold before they pick it. It's picked fresh morning on Friday, delivered to me by noon. I box it up and you get it on at five o'clock that night. So it's like literally the freshest food that you'll ever get the freshest products you'll ever get. Right. Um, and it builds up a regenerative economy. So that's doing really good. And um, then you also got treetop, Permaculture, tell us what's going on with treetop permaculture. Are you doing classes? Are you doing consultation? What does that look like? I'm glad you asked uh, because we are getting ready for our fall permaculture design course right now. Uh, So I haven't been doing it for two years because of the fire stuff. Right. And I've had so many people ask me, when are you doing another certification course? What's happening? So I didn't even have to really market it this time. Uh, although I, I still have some, some, a few available slots left. Uh, I just reached out to all these people that had asked before, but it's going to be a six week. This is actually the first time I'm putting this out to the public. So all right. All it's right. a six week course that I've come up with uh, where it's every other weekend and every Thursday and Friday evening for three hours. Uh, so six to 9 PM. And then every weekend from eight to five, or every other weekend, I'm sorry. For eight, uh, and it starts on October 9th. Okay. And it's going to go all the way to like the end of like right the weekend before Thanksgiving. And uh, our whole thing is it's firewise design. It's it's going to be fire resilient design is our core of this course. And it's going to be between my property here in Oroville, um, my property in Berry Creek as more of the rural. So this one in Oroville is, you know, the urban design, urban design, right? Yeah. That's the rural and fire uh, ecology design, um, as well as the school garden program in Oroville. So I have the K through eight program and a big food forest there in Oroville. Um, the co-op box program, people are going to learn about that and they're actually going to participate as like helping run it for a week. Oh, We're cool. do live consultations with real clients. Um, we're going up to Concow Meadows Research Station, which is um, my friends that started a program after the fires up there doing earthworks projects. Um, we're awesome. gonna be, yeah, compost toilet 
uh, installation, um, natural building stuff. So yeah, it's going to be really awesome. We got a few spots left. So if people want to check it out and we're going to, this is the biggest part of it is that this is like really the first major event for our new, my, my new permaculture research, uh, Institute in Berry Creek. So this property, um, awesome. a new restoration camp, a full you know year round one this time, instead of like a, you know, random, it's going to be a place we're hoping to have like 30 something campsites, a bunch of, uh, tiny houses that we're going to build on the property. Oh, really neat. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and do the ultimate demonstration site for, you know, fire ecology design essentially and uh, natural building projects, all that kind of stuff, water retention, gray water systems, like you name it, um, forest ecology stuff. So, um, John Lou's going to come out, you know, uh, and we're going to, we're going to have our big rally in November. It's kind of a private invite. I'll, I'll probably invite you guys if you want to come. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, sounds good. You know, it's going to, yeah, we're, we have a music venue there. It's a, uh, it's a pretty good size, like probably seat 200 people, um, for, for a music venue there. And so it's the beginning of a big new step for me. And that's going to be my main focus. Um, so if someone's listening to this, they're like, Oh, sign me up. How do I, how do they take advantage of that? Yeah. Um, so we'll have, uh, we'll post it online. You can reach out to us at, um, treetop permaculture at gmail.com is probably the easiest way right now. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes. Facebook TT permaculture, treetop permaculture, just look it up. Um, yeah, our website's actually getting revamped right now, so I don't want to like say it yet, but it should be up. It's treetoppermaculture.org okay. um, by the time people uh, check it out. And yeah, and so just, you know, sign up, say, uh, or send me an email, say, hey, I'm interested in the course uh, as, of very, as of right now. And, um, and then, yeah, we'll have a lot more opportunities coming up. We always do a course in January uh, and then yeah, hopefully the restoration camp stuff will continue like seasonally, like major events and then opportunities to come up there and actually live, you know, to stay up there for longer periods of time as well. Awesome. And, um, man, you got for someone that has so many different irons in the fire, man, you got a lot going on and hats off to you for that. But is there anything else that you're doing that you want to let people know about? Well, I'm enjoying life. You know, I made wine yesterday. Uh, (laughs) you know, I, what I, I guess I want to say is that, uh, this is not by accident, how all these things happen in my life. It's through permaculture design. And I want people to understand it's a design system that helps you shape the world around you in Mm -hmm. a very energy efficient, common sense, commonsensical way that are in, in, in balance with patterns of nature. They're balance of all these natural patterns of the universe. Um, and it's learning how to read those patterns and how to flow with those patterns. And so that's permaculture. And I have made it my mission in life to teach people about that. And so I've had a lot of experience with it and I'm happy to share everything that I've learned with people. So that's what I'm all about. That's really all I can say. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, dude, that was great catching up with you. Thank you again for sharing your corner of the universe with us. Uh, I'm sure that you're going to get some people that will hit you up about your design work. Do you do any consultation work or is it just right now classes? 
No, I do. Yeah. I, uh, I love, that's my main gig. In fact, when I, um, when I finish getting this nonprofit, uh, fully running that all my projects are actually going into, uh, that's another update that I didn't give you. But, um, when that happens, I'm really going to be stepping back, writing a book and just doing consultation work. Uh, that's my favorite thing to do. So, um, just going to see new properties and new people getting to read them, read the landscape, you know, help them develop a picture of what, uh, what they can create on their land. It's, it's my favorite thing. So yeah, please reach out to me through, um, probably Facebook is the easiest way. Easiest way. Okay. Yeah. And treetalkpermaculture at gmail.com. Okay. I'll put that stuff in the show notes. Well, man, you're awesome. And thank you so much for not only spending some time with us, but all you're doing in our community. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have benefited from the work you've done and that will benefit in the future too, because a lot of it is future thinking. So absolutely awesome. Thanks so much, man. Thanks guys. If you like today's episode, you can find more information at mycorneruniverse.com. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.